everyone. Welcome to King's Talk, presented by Captain Crown. This is Tony. With me, as always, we got John. The Kings have only played two games since we've talked last. Twice in seven games, they've gone one and one. They extended their losing streak to four against the Pacers, and then promptly ended it on Monday night against the Atlanta Hawks at home without Trey Young. A game that, I swear to God, if they had lost, I would have lost a lot of faith in this team. But yeah, I mean, the Kings hadn't lost four straight games since they opened last season. Under Mike Brown, they went 0-4 in his first four games. John, how how you feeling? I, I did, That four-game losing streak still doesn't really sit right with me, even though it's now over. Three of them were on the road. They have a seven-game road trip coming up. This team... They're just not sitting well with me right now. I then we can get into it later. But how how you doing? How do you feel about this team right now? How we uh, what's going on? <laughs> well, I, you know, uh, I'll skip I'll skip things about me. I, I don't think people want to hear about uh, my divorce. But um, you know, I think the thing about the Kings is the lack of consistency with the group that currently exists. But to their credit. They ended a losing streak. They beat the Hawks. You know, you can put as much stock into that as you want without Trey Young and some other players. But I think you're you're right to say that they still don't sit well because the overarching theme here still remains that they need to make a change. It's also worth kind of assessing because people keep talking about the fact that, well, the Kings have about the same record as they had last season. And Mike Brown further notes that the Kings' offensive rating is roughly the same. I think plus or minus two points. I mean, minus two points this season. Not super far off, but that the whole league is scoring more. So whereas the Kings' offense this season compared to last season would have been, I think, probably top five, this season it's only, you know, I think it's uh, 11th or 12th. Now I don't remember off the top of my head. But I think it's worth kind of assessing have the Kings gotten any better, not just in the long term since then, but even kind of zooming in a little bit more, gotten better over these five games? That includes the four-game losing streak. Or are they still at a point where they're the same? And I bring that up because I think there are a lot of bad things and things to kind of like point out that are still troublesome or that remain or that have maybe even gotten worse. But there are some things maybe worth kind of bringing up that are good. And I, and maybe I say that last thing because we've been maybe mainly critical over the last few weeks, but I mean, I guess I should ask over these last five games. And again, that does include a four game losing streak. Are there, is there anything or a few things that you can say you could maybe take away as positives, even if positive positivity isn't the main feeling that you take away from the stretch? I mean, Demonis Sabonis has looked great. Harrison Barnes, you know, had a big game, and Kevin Herter had a couple of big games in that this stretch that we're referring to, which is good news both for the Kings if they have to hold on to him or the trade value that they culminated after those games. So, I mean, those are some bright spots <laughs> that I can say, but I mean, I feel like I have more negative feelings over this team than positive at the moment. Yeah, I had a feeling you'd say that. So, I'll just add in maybe some positive nuggets I have, and then let's just let's let's unload the rotten tomatoes on the Sacramento Kings, I guess. Um, you know, they they did to their credit play pretty close game uh, down to the wire uh, against Milwaukee. I don't think many. I mean, I feel like when you and I talk personally about 
going into that Milwaukee game, it didn't seem like there was a lot of faith in the Kings. And, you know, they at least played well enough to put themselves in a position to win. Uh, despite losing it late in the game, they did play for most of the, for, for three quarters and even a little bit into the fourth, but mostly just three quarters against the Suns, play a really, really good game on both ends. They almost came back against Indiana on Thursday, and they made a lot of progress after doing poorly against Indiana on Thursday in terms of weak side help defense in the low man spot. They they made a lot of strides in that against Atlanta. Uh, Mike Brown said they're covering for each other a lot better, and he's seen that kind of grow over the last few games. There are signs of some things to be positive about, plus the individual kind of performances that you've talked about. But... You come off a four-game losing streak, and those did include some rough games where you highlighted lack of poise with turnovers late or uh, the free throw problem, which is still mm-hmm. has you at last in the league, despite the fact that they did shoot 88% against the Hawks. That doesn't change anything. Not to mention that you played a Hawks team without Trey Young. That is not very good. And is that a and DeAndre uh, Hunter. And DeAndre Hunter. That's very. I was forgetting who else they, they didn't have. Um, but you, you end your losing streak at home, not the first game home after a road trip like Indiana. So you've been at home, you've been comfortable. You had three days off beforehand and you played Atlanta and you won. And you still saw some of the issues against Atlanta that you saw, that you saw in the previous four games, which was the heavy reliance on having to trap good players, which created some shots and kind of gave Atlanta momentum late in the game, which was part of a late game surge that they, that they kind of went on. That was also facilitated by using a small lineup. So you still kind of saw signs of it. Granted, Atlanta couldn't finish the job, and Sacramento, to their credit, finished it. Uh, but you saw issues with, you know, having to put two guys on and, and force into scramble mode when you have when you face a really really talented player. You saw the issues against smaller lineups, how they can spread the floor and force you to have to trap even more because you can't just switch one through five. And you saw kind of that ability to or that lack of ability from the Kings to really take control of a game that they really should have taken control of and put away really early and they had to basically play their start their best players all 48 minutes so there's a lot of bad things and I'm sure you have more to add to that what jumps out at me the most over these last five games and kind of just a whole month really since I kind of started worrying about them I really started worrying after that loss to Portland which I feel like was over a month ago now is Darren Fox I, he he's the most worrisome for me. Uh, I think he's hurt. That's the only explanation. He's just it's just a lot of like, a lot of question marks around him. Is he hurt? Why isn't he talking to the media? Uh, and which questions his leadership ability? It's just like so much going on with him. Um, I don't know. It just kind of makes me worried about what this team can do. He's just not playing like himself. So, so yeah, that's basically, that's my highlight about what's going wrong with this team, mostly. I think it starts from the top, and Fox is the top. Yeah, and I think Fox is worth zooming in on. But one more thing I would say, just kind of overall, because I, like I said, I think the overarching theme here with the Kings, not over only over the last month in these last five games or whatever, but just where they stand going forward is that there's a lack of consistency and they need to make a move. And Mike Brown kind of articulated that. I think it was after the Indiana game, or maybe it was at, after one of the practices in between Indiana and Atlanta. But he said, you know, it's one of those things where this team will work really hard, 
and they'll improve one area game to game, but when they improve one area, it kind of leads to slippage in another area. It's almost like, you know, if you were to pull the rug to cover your upper body a little bit more, you're exposing your feet. And then you go to cover the feet, and then all of a sudden your shoulders are cold. That whole kind of situation. And I think these last five games in particular, like like you were saying with the free throw shooting, for instance, between Indiana and Atlanta, or even the weak side help defense between Indiana and Atlanta, you know, those two things were terrible uh, against the Pacers. But they had three days off. I think they had two pretty intense practices and worked on it very hard. And they were good at it against Atlanta. But game to game, are you going to be able to keep that improvement consistent without falling away in other areas? And that's really where the question still remains. And it doesn't really seem like a confident answer to have an optimistic outlook on the, on that, at least at this point with the way the roster stands now. So I think these last five games, even though it's kind of covered up by a, a win against Atlanta, just continue to drive home the point that you and I and many, many other people have been making and thinking over the last month, month and a half. And uh, it's becoming even more clear as February draws near. But if you have anything to add to that, go ahead. But we can totally move on to De'Aaron Fox, who I think is probably one of the most pressing issues right now because things are kind of interesting with him. Let's, uh, let's continue on to Fox. Yeah. Well... I think one of the things that's that's interesting is, is is month of January for a guy that was basically averaging 30 points. He's down to about 21 points per game this month. Uh, you know, his sh- overall shooting percentages are, are down a bit. I mean, they're not he's, he's shooting from the field 42%, which isn't like terrible. And he's still shooting well from three this month uh, for the most part. I think if you just factor in the last eight games... Uh, he's shooting 39.6%. But in the month, he's shooting 35.2 as of recording today. But that's not really so much the issue. It, it's, it's so much more that he's not scoring at the same production. And kind of to get into a specific efficiency stat, his mid-range shots have been horrible. I think uh, from the mid-range as a whole, on the year, he's shooting 38.9%. In the last eight games, he's shooting 15% from the mid-range, according to NBA.com. In the 10 to 14 foot range, he shot. He's shooting 45.2 percent this season. But in the last eight, he's shooting 30.4 percent. And even his five to nine foot range is down about six percentage points from 49.6, which is his average on the season. I guess I shouldn't say it's down, but it's down on his average from the season of 49.6 percent to 43.5. And he's not shooting very well. I guess just starting with that, we've been talking. On and off, I think for the last month and a half, maybe since about Christmas time, about Fox possibly being injured. And I think we talked a little bit about the maybe a lower body injury, something lingering from the ankle injury earlier. But a lot of people have been pointing out a potential shoulder or arm injury. And I think the shooting percentages kind of backed that up because his three-point percentage has been pretty rock steady. And I actually think that in the stretch of games we're talking about, his deep, deep threes are actually slightly better. So I don't necessarily think it's a lower body injury, but you're seeing him miss from his spots. You're seeing him miss those turnarounds, those mid-rangers, those little close floaters even. And it almost makes you believe that it is some kind of shoulder injury because of the different shot angles, the different moves you have to use to create space, and just the the kind of difficulty of getting those shots up uh, compared to just maybe an open three or a straight-on three or something like that. 
it seems like it's got to be a shoulder injury, right? Based on that and maybe other things. Yeah, I mean, I'm no doctor, but I mean, it makes sense the way, the, the way you're pointing it out. Well, like I think also it's have you other people have pointed that out as well. I don't know. Do you know when it would have like started? Do I have no? I'm trying to think. I don't know. When did he start playing poorly? Because maybe that can help us. You said eight games ago, right? The last eight. He hasn't been playing that well. Well, the the last eight in particular, but I feel like the Fox being potentially hurt discourse kind of came up around New Year's when he had that 15-point game against Orlando and then eventually the three-point game against New Orleans. Yeah, I believe that was January 2nd or 3rd when he had that game against Orlando. I don't know, you know, I don't think it, I mean, it does matter, obviously. I don't think it matters when it started. I think it matters that nothing's been done about it. We've talked about this so many times now where you don't want Darren Fox playing hurt and we can take it back to last year when he had that foot injury linger on too long and they finally had to rest him a game or two to get him, you know, back to 100%. And then he started playing well again after that. It is concerning that the Kings had three games off or three days off. And then Fox comes back and has maybe his worst game of the year. 12 points, one assist. I mean, that's concerning. 12 points, one assist for Darren Fox. I mean, no superstar should really do that in a game. Yeah, they got the win. Yeah, it was against the Hawks. Yeah, they didn't need him to score 30 points. But, I mean, that mid-range in particular, like you pointed out, he that's his that's his go-to zone. Was that, that mid-range? It opens up his drive. And then when he needs a clutch bucket late, that's usually what he goes to is that mid-range. And it just looks terrible. So until he can really find that back, and if it's his, it's his shoulder or it's confidence-wise, I don't really know what's going on. It, it, the injury makes the most sense, right? Because why would he start struggling there all of a sudden? But... <laughs> Again, I, I mean, this is up to Brown, right? Like, why? It, it, this has been going on far too long. I mean, if you're, we're going back to that Orlando game on January 3rd, it's been over 20 days. It's been three weeks, 21 days today. So, I mean, rest the guy. It, I mean, it's just frustrating. Like, why is he being allowed to play like this? I, I, and, yeah. but it's like, that makes me think, is it actually an injury or is he just sucking right now? Cause you think Brown would have stepped in by now. Or maybe he will after this game. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot to the injury just because there is a lot of... Yeah, I feel like I've even seen moments where he's kind of clutching the shoulder or kind of like wincing. I think even the commentators have pointed it out. But it, it's a massive issue, like you said. I mean, it does affect the clutch time baskets, especially when you're talking about mid-range shots not going down. And just for reference this season, I mean, De'Aaron Fox was a guy that obviously won the inaugural Clutch Player of the Year award shooting about 52.9% from the field in clutch time. This season from in clutch time, Darren Fox is only shooting 38.8% from the field, you know? Mm-hmm. And this, this goes back, this is basically a thing since the beginning of January for the most part. Again, there's that game against Orlando where he didn't shoot well. He came back and had a good game against Toronto, and but then after that was the New Orleans game where he only scored three points. That was really kind of the lowest yeah. of the low, and things have been really off since then. And the interesting thing is, is with that Toronto game being sandwiched in there, that was about, that was on the third. It's the 23rd that we're recording today. So that was almost three weeks ago. That was, I believe, the last time he spoke to the media or spoke in front of the public. So people have been commenting, I think after the Pacers game, if you look at the uh, post game press conferences of Mike Brown and players, 
you can see most of the comments are, where the hell is Fox? Why is he not talking to us? Doesn't he owe the fans some explanation or to, to some comment? It had been almost, it had been more than two weeks at that point or about two weeks at that point. And now we're reaching a point where it's almost at three weeks where he hasn't really spoken to the media as far as I'm concerned now. And even Jason Anderson brought that up after the Hawks game. It's, it's interesting to pair these mix, these, uh, down performances, which Mike Brown explained is, you know, it's the dog days of the season. Fox can get to a point where he's good for 82 games or whatever, or closer to 82 games, but he's still young. He's going to have his ups and downs. Like, okay, maybe. But as soon as you start seeing him missing shots from his sweet spots, his bread and butter, at times where he's cooking the most, you know, clutch time and late in games and stuff like that. And really, I mean, he's he was a 30-plus point per game scorer this season. I mean, it should be all the time. It shouldn't just be at one time. And you're also seeing him avoid, or at least it seems that way. I mean, it's been so long. He's the best player on the team. You've seen, I feel like you've seen, you've seen Kevin Herter talk more to the media in the last three weeks than De'Aaron Fox. So it, it just, it seems peculiar. And... I mean, you have to think about injury, obviously. I mean, that seems likely. But now with the lack of communication, the lack of interest in communicating, as it seems to us, you can only wonder what's up, what's going on. It's it's concerning. And I don't I don't know if this is really a theory of mine, but it is interesting that kind of all of this is transpiring as we get more and more to the point where it's like, oh, this roster as it stands now needs to be shaken up or something. It needs a change. I mean, this could be, and again, I don't know if this is the case. This could be some kind of wake-up call for him. I mean, this is his team, you know. Uh, he'd finally gotten over the hump and gotten the team into the playoffs. And now he's kind of first facing his first bit of adversity as a quote-unquote good team, as a chased team. I don't know. It's not I mean, a good like, look. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what's going on. But I think that's a factor. And it, it, it whether or not it's weighing on him, like you said, I think it's it's something worth pointing out for optics reasons. There's this troll on Reddit because <laughs> people are bringing up this question. <laughs> it's not that funny, but I find it funny. It's like, what's going on with Fox? And then, like, there's several different threads on it. <laughs> this one guy is like responding on all of them. He's like, oh, yeah, no, he's getting a divorce. <laughs> I don't know. It's so funny. But everyone's just like chewing him out. I'm like, I take it easy. He's just trolling. No, yeah, no, Deuce and Mo said it. He said he went on the Deuce and Mo podcast and said it. And people are like, well, timestamp it, show me. It's like, okay, come on, guys. Like, he's not getting like, so a divorce. Reese is there every time. Uh, the game all the time. <laughs> I don't know why. He's like, no. And, but he just like keeps like standing his ground. And it's a good troll, to be honest, because he's really firing some people up. But uh, <laughs> it's so, it's, it's even more funny because it's so like, it's the most simplest, easy to disprove thing and just easy to overlook. And it's still pissing off the Redditors. Yeah. <laughs> just getting Redditors to act like the ultimate Redditors. Yeah, for real. Like, it's not, it's not like he's, it's like, it's not like he said something that was like somewhat questionable that could get you kind of fired up. It's like, yeah, baby Rain already told his dad that he doesn't want anything to do with basketball in his life. And that's just really affected De'Aaron. Yeah. You know, like if that was something like that, it'd be like, oh, but, but it's like, he's literally saying the most disprovable thing. Bringing up baby Rain. That is funny. Um, I mean, when, I mean, how old is that kid now? <laughs> like, it's even a year old yet. I don't know. I forget when. I think he's about to be a year old. I think he was born in like the first or second week of February when they were in like Houston last year. I think it was right before the trade. 
Okay. I, uh, or not the trailer, the all-star break. Some people are speculating um, he's tired, <laughs> I guess, from having a new, not really a newborn. I don't know when you stop calling them newborns. But uh, I guess, I mean, I, and don't quote me on this because I've seen uh, uh, these reports off of uh, social media and online forums that he, I guess him and, is it Reese or Reese? I, I don't, is it? Do you, I think it's Reese. I think it's Reese. I mean, I've heard kind of both. I'm just gonna call it Reese. I've heard both, honestly. Uh, I guess yeah. she said that they don't have like a nanny, which is fine. But you know, I mean, my sister just had a newborn not too long ago, and and that's my closest, I guess, observation of a newborn. And you know, parents are tired because they're up dealing with the kid late. I don't know if that could be affecting him, but I mean, you think it'd be affecting him earlier? Because I mean, this isn't new. Uh, I mean, his his sleep would have been affected for quite a while now, at least the last year or so. So, but that was yeah. a that was a um, what's it called? Like a, a theory, a theory, speculation. Yeah, speculation. Nugget. But yeah. it seems more than that, really. It's probably just a divorce. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's got to be it. Um, you know, me and Fox going through the same thing. No. <laughs> um, well, the thing, the thing that. It kind of makes me want because I again you're right. It's like they had the baby just short of a year ago. It's like he had, he played great down the stretch, played great into the playoffs. It's like that would have been the biggest adjustment to waking up and dealing with a baby and adjusting to that lifestyle. Of course, it could weigh on you after a while. But I guess the question I would ask is is uh, the only way that I feel like that would affect him or be like reasonable is it's like. Is Rise traveling with baby rain to all these places, or is it only to a few places like New Orleans or Houston or something like that? I, I don't know. That's a good question. I'm, I really have no idea. I feel like I haven't paid enough well, attention to that. Because I feel like that would play into it, because then they're all of a sudden the baby's with you all the time. Where is, where is Fox from? Is he from Texas? I think I think he was born in New Orleans and he grew up in Houston. Yeah, I think so too. So maybe that's why she's traveling, because they have family there. I didn't even know she went to those games, but I'm like, okay, wait, I think New Orleans and Texas ring a bell for, or Houston ring a bell for Fox. So maybe that's why she's going. I, but I really don't know. And I know she's been to a few, I know she's been to a few road games. I just don't know if she's been on the vast majority. Like, did she go on that five game road trip? I can't honestly tell you. Right. I, I don't even know if she was at any. Yeah. Of those I games. have no idea. Just to indulge that theory. I mean, I feel like that would be kind of a key nugget of information so if anybody knows if anybody can tell us i mean if we want to have a little gossip column in the comment section here yeah just start <laughs> go start gossiping it. about everything you know about De'Aaron fox what what you yeah. find in his uh in his garbage when he takes it out at night just type it in the comments yeah, that's that's what that's up that's up to all the cap city clowns out there all you listeners you gotta find out darren fox's address and go through his mail and his where track. does fox live no I don't, don't actually don't do that don't do that just to be clear don't do don't that. do it but i'm saying don't where does do fox that. live do you know but if you do post it on reddit <laughs> what does he post it on reddit, reddit? so where does fox live do you know <laughs> where he, he lives around in sac uh no idea either I'm assuming, I don't know. Seems like everyone lives in like Granite Bay or Natomas. I was going to say Granite Bay, Folsom, El Dorado Hills or something. I heard Murray lives in Natomas though. One of my buddies said he saw him walking around with his girlfriend, Natomas. What's up, Keegan? Oh, hey. (laughs) Keegan? That's probably the perfect place for Keegan, honestly. Like, I feel like who's who's even walking around in Natomas? 
Yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a great point. We're going to find out where everybody lives. Mike Brown lives in El Dorado Hills. I Kyle Draper posted something in Folsom, if that matters. I'm like, oh. Yeah, he always says stuff about Folsom, too. He's always like, you shot that from Folsom. He always goes with that. <laughs> sometimes it's Carmichael. Sometimes it's Granite Bay. But most of the time, it's Folsom. Yeah, okay. The Drapes lives in Folsom. Drapes, yeah. What's up? It's your boy Drapes. Um, I think Katie Christensen always alludes to driving down 50 or maybe even 80, but I think it's 50 somehow to get in. Um, we just need a map of SAC and just like... We do. We need to just like uh, tack on like faces of the areas. Connect things with red string with the most efficient route to see everybody <laughs> yeah. in one day. Exactly. We'll just start doing tours like, like they do in Beverly Hills. Do all this reconnaissance and try to conjure up an FBI raid on our house. <laughs> <laughs> We got reports from uh, NBA security that you've been getting a little too close to the personal information of the Sacramento Kings players. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're just trying to make some money. It's a Cap City Crown Sacramento Kings tour. It's the Cap City Clowns. We're helping out the tourist industry. Dude, of sack, yeah. Who doesn't want to see where Alex Lynn lives or Kessler Edwards is? And just rent out a double-decker? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a question. Do the Stockton Kings have to live in Stockton? Because that would suck. No offense. Oh, I think you've asked this question before. And I think uh, they did a media availability with just Jalen Slauson and Keon Ellis. And one of them said that being on a two-way contract, the Kings set you up in a spot where you're kind of in between Sacramento and Stockton. So you're probably in like, I don't know, Elk Grove maybe? like For their sake. Galt? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like I, I don't know off the top of my head. Um, I know, that's funny. Yeah. Sorry. Maybe like Rio you. Vista or something. Rio Vista could work because you're kind of in the Delta. You're close. You could kind of get to Sacramento. You can get to Stockton. And you could probably get to the Bay Area, you know, because you're going to play two games in Golden State, you know. Yeah, that's that's fair. Maybe Rio Vista would make sense. I don't know. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. But if anybody knows what's going on with De'Aaron Fox, any uh, speculation, yes. you know, better bring the timestamps though if it's anything about anything major. So, yeah, so we we ain't just some we ain't just some British tabloid. No, this is journalism. You gotta do the this dirty is TMZ, work. bro. Yeah, exactly. But enough with Fox. What else we got? What else we got on the docket? Yeah, let's get back on track to some real topics. Harrison Barnes. Harry B, dude. Harry Buckets. I think another 30-plus point game after doing so on opening night. He had, what, 30 point, 31 points against Atlanta? Uh, Yeah. Got it going early. Mm-hmm. And uh, was just aggressive throughout and scored. And, you know, Fox, Sabonis, and Murray didn't combine for the best percentage. And shots came his way. And, he, you know, he got he got, he got got looks and, and everything like that. And uh, Malik Monk was asked... That about all of a sudden there being another 31 or 30 plus point game for Barnes and Monk pointed out the the com the commonality between opening night and this game which was three days or more I guess of rest he said three days rest three days rest and uh, that would be the two games where you only had three or more days of rest so that definitely paid off for an older guy and Malik Monk also said you know make sure to tell Mike Brown that. 
And before we get to what Mike Brown said, this what Malik Monk said about that and what probably that prompts people to think or reminds people to think because they've probably thought it already is what we were talking about at the beginning of the season for questions for each player. And the question for Harrison Barnes was, should Mike Brown consider giving him more rest, maybe games off or time off, practices off, to kind of prevent him getting fatigued to kind of allow him to be fresh, especially come playoff time, where last season, when he, everybody thought his veteran presence and a championship experience would help them in that setting, it really didn't. He was probably one of the least effective rotational guys out there. Do you think uh, this underscores that statement, just kind of starting there, that um, Harrison Barnes needs more rest? Man, you know what? I don't know. I don't know if it means that, or it doesn't mean that they just need to get Harrison Barnes involved in the offense a little more. I, I read, I think, a Will Z stat. If you follow him on Twitter, he always has these great stats. I think it said it was only the second time in his Sacramento Kings career that he had over 20 shot attempts in a game. And he scores efficiently 10 of 20 for 32 points. It was 32, not 31. I just checked. But, um, I mean, I don't know. Like, we talked about earlier that he's just not... You know, shots, Brown doesn't call shots for him. This was like a month or so ago that we, that Brown's like, yeah, like we, I don't call shots for Barnes. It's like his shots are kind of through the flow of the offense. And so instead of, I mean, he was like, it seemed like they were giving him the ball. Like it almost like the offense was centered around him. Yeah. He started off hot, but he also got a lot of touches just to start off the game. I'm not saying Harrison Barnes should be the focal point, obviously with Sabonis, Fox and even Murray. But, I mean, it looks like when you actually, you know, give him some focus on the offensive standpoint, he's going to score. And he showed that last night. So, that's what I, I mean, he needs rest, obviously. I mean, he's the oldest guy on the team. I think so, right? Is he, no, no, McGee is, obviously. But he's the oldest starter, at least. And, I mean, we always have these concerns over Barnes at this point in the season getting a little tired. But... Maybe just get this guy some touches. I, I know you want to develop Murray, but I mean, he Barnes showed that he was capable last night. Maybe integrate him a little more. Yeah, I think there's definitely an element to you could probably get more from Barnes on a night to night basis if you got him a few more touches. If you kind of just focused on getting him just a handful of touches early and just kind of seeing how that can play out for the rest of the game. Although he is prone to start off a game or have a good quarter here and there and never really show up for the other quarters at least in terms of being aggressive but I think ultimately this kind of points to Harrison Barnes fit within the offense and why he's kind of a a conundrum because he's helpful in a lot of ways you know he can he's a versatile option on defense he can do some stuff on that end he can help you with rebounding he can hit open threes when they're produced but Mike Brown said something interesting because he was asked about that role that Harrison Barnes has where shots kind of just come to him and he was asked if that was hard. And Mike Brown said, yeah. And it's difficult because, you know, as he had said earlier in the press conference, Harrison Barnes was just aggressive. You could see him pop. The top three scorers weren't really going off. And we just, after a while, when he was showing that he was shooting well, we just kind of started to go to him. You know, that's one thing. But with all that in mind, Mike Brown said that most of the time, you're thinking about Harrison Barnes when you're giving him touches and whatnot, like it was the case for him earlier in his career at different points when he would get shots in the post or from the nail, you know, that can work in certain situations. But 
when everybody is playing well, when you are playing your style of offense, that tends to slow things down. That doesn't really move within the flow of the offense. He was pointing out the fact that things kind of come through reads and playing fast. The way Harrison Barnes succeed off, succeeds offensively the best is antithetical to that. It's what we've said before, which is like when things get off kilter, he can settle things down. You can slow it down, get it to him in the post, give him an opportunity to go down and try to get to the free throw line, all of which he does pretty well. But that's like code red moments like, okay, we need to really slow things down and catch a breather here, kind of reorient our focus. But when you're down the late stretch or you're trying to get a, an early lead or whatever, when you're really trying to play the way that you want to play, that explains, Brown's explanation really explains why he gets kind of lost in the fold and he doesn't get up very many shots because he doesn't necessarily really fit with the offensive flow. I mean, he really is just a supplementary periphery piece most of the time because of that. And that only underlines the idea that I mean, you probably need to upgrade there. You need a guy that fits a little bit better. Maybe a guy that can maintain a certain level of aggression despite having that role or a guy that you feel more comfortable giving a more a, a more expansive offensive uh, role to, one that you feel more comfortable giving more looks to. It just kind of makes clear that you need another guy out there. And we were talking about replacing Harrison Barnes mostly to get like a versatile defender in there, one that can really affect the overall defense. So now you're kind of talking about Barnes as being needed being needed to be replaced for the way he is on both ends of the floor in relation to this Kings team. It's not that he's bad, but it's just what they need. They need extra defense. He's not going to give you extra defense. He's a supplementary defender that gives you a little bit of versatility. And then on offense, he doesn't really necessarily fit, as Mike Brown said, with the ability for this team to flow and pay with, play with pace. So, you know, maybe you can give him more touches, but maybe that seems antithetical to everything else and again it seems like when the shooters aren't going well when things are off you can go to Barnes but otherwise he's just going to continue having two three four field goal attempts in a game yeah I mean I think it just kind of illustrates that he needs to be traded at this point and you know, they sent him to a, a a decent deal over this offseason where they can probably be moved to a contender because that's Really, the only people that probably want Barnes is someone like the Rockets. I mean, I wouldn't call the Rockets a contender, but they're kind of not necessarily in a win now mode, but they do have players like Van Vliet and uh, Dylan Brooks who maybe won't be totally part of their future with like Shangun and Jalen Green and people like them. But I read that they're interested in Barnes and I just, I, I, I would just try to move him at this point. For, I don't know, I just, it, but it, I mean, you can't just move him for nothing. That's what I always say about Barnes. It's just kind of a weird situation because it's, you, you have to replace that small forward slash power forward first before you trade him. I just feel like it's the same thing every year, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's just the same thing with Barnes. And of course, like people are going to want him because like you said, the they give him a contract extension, but given the money, I mean, it's pretty manageable for teams to, to take that on, to move that. Uh, to involve that in a trade, and he provides enough value. He's played pretty well over the last five, six games, whether or not he's scoring 30-plus points or not. But it is a question of, is the right deal there for you to have an outlook of improving? Not just this season, but going forward, to really have that opportunity to take the step that you want to take. And that just kind of remains a question. But Harrison Barnes, maybe he's playing himself into having a little bit of higher value over these last couple of weeks, but... It's also making clear that despite him playing quote-unquote better, 
he may not be the best fit for this team. Would you see it as a failure if the Kings don't move Barnes? Uh, this trade deadline? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, because... Or, or at least by the ne- by the start of next season, at the least. Yeah, I would say that. I would say that. Because if okay. they can't move him at the trade deadline, that's for that reason. They can't get anything done that's worth doing. If they can't get anything done that's worth doing by the end of the off season this upcoming summer, then they clearly didn't do their research or do their, their homework on mapping out this whole extending Harrison Barnes. Because just the way it seems clear that Harrison Barnes doesn't necessarily fit 100%. He's a good piece to kind of plug in there, to kind of have a, as a stopgap, I guess you could say. Just kind of just try to fill in the cracks of where they need in the starting lineup, a veteran presence, all that. You know, that's nice and all, but it does seem clear, especially with Mike Brown's comments, that they don't really see him as the best fit going forward. And obviously, they probably want to get younger and more talented and dynamic at that position. So given that, by resigning him to a pretty you know, reasonable deal, they had to have known and had to have had or at least thought about a plan to move him and upgrade at some point in the near future. And I don't think that they, they I don't think that they want to do that anytime after this offseason because now you're talking about getting into next season with Barnes on your team, trying to move him at the deadline. All of a sudden you're in the same position potentially as you were a year before. And are you growing? Are you are you climbing at that point? And so, no. So I would say if they don't move him by the end of the offseason, yes, that is a, a bit of a failure, at least in terms of that stage of their efforts to be great. Mm-hmm. The Barnes conundrum, man. I mean, it just comes up every year, year after year. I don't think there's been an, uh, a trade deadline season where he hasn't been brought up in trade conversations. Yeah. And, you know, not for the best points, but... He just seems, he, he just, his ceiling is only so high. I mean, it's, I mean, he has a high floor, low ceiling kind of guy. And it's, I mean, he was fine, you know, when the Kings were bad. But, you know, now that we're trying to get better and, you know, his age doesn't totally match up with what the Kings are trying to do on top of that, I think it's more so than ever uh, warranted that Barnes has to, he has to be moved. It's critical, really. Him, him or Herder, honestly, at this point. Both, and preferably, it, if you can get upgrades. But Yeah, you know. more athletic. With Barnes, mm-hmm. Barnes is interesting because he's good, but he's not good enough. Both in the sense that the Kings, like, he's good, but he's not good enough. You need to upgrade. And for teams looking at him, he's good, he's worth having, but not good enough to, like, give the Kings necessarily what they want for sure, you know? It might yeah. have to be a third team. You might not have to get the pull you necessarily want. It may have to be a bit of a a gamble as to whether it's just a swap or a a win or maybe even some kind of a minor loss in the trade. I don't know. And are they willing to do that? And the timeline of that is key. So it's just, it's weird. And Barnes is just that level of player, you know, that kind of good but not good enough in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting with him. Yeah, (laughs) he's going to be. He's going to be a level, or he's going to be a talking point for until the trade deadline, really. We'll see what happens. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I still don't have high hopes for Monty this trade deadline season. The Kings just don't seem to have enough assets or considerable assets to make even a decent-sized splash. Um, but we'll see. You know, We'll keep talking about it. There's about two weeks left until the trade deadline. So it's coming up very quick. Yeah. And I think one of the things is, is I would say, you know, 
the I think the Kings could make a huge splash and a big upgrade and get a starter in the in, in the lineup to put against you know next to Murray, uh, whether that be replacing Herder or Barnes. Uh, the whole little second of rumors about Herb Jones there for a second seemed like oh man that'd be a guy worth kind of like making a pretty significant deal for because locked up for a while he's still young he he he'd fit instantly he'd help your defense three and D guy but. Obviously, that never was really a thing, and that quickly got retracted. That was pretty disappointing, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, Herb Jones would have been awesome, but it, it seemed too good to be true. I'm like, really? Like the Pelicans are, yeah. you know, trying to do stuff too. It's like they're why I don't know why they would, they would be a seller at least this season. So it makes sense that that report was false, according to Mark Stein. So. Yeah, I mean, I think that first Herb Jones note kind of came from the Action Report, or I think that's what it's called, Action Report, Report, or Action Network, their report about it. And I was just like, okay, I don't know about... Like, of course the Kings are interested in him, but we'll see about that. And I think there was another report, and that got debunked, for lack of a better term. But, okay, so Herb Jones isn't there, and that would have been actually a really, really good option. Uh, there are other names there. I mean, we talked about Kyle Kuzma last week, obviously, but, you know, another guy that got brought up in that action network and another guy that's been brought up elsewhere as being a trade target for a lot of different teams, I think Dallas is interested in him. Bojan Bogdanovic in Detroit is a guy that could be interesting. And I think he's worth talking about because there's a lot of questions because in a lot of ways, Bogdanovic can help any team that's trying to be good. But it's like, what are you going to give up for him, and what's his role going to be on the team? Are you trying to get him in a package that doesn't give up much, and he's going to be like a replacement for Vizenkov off the bench? Because if you're doing that, that's great. But is that realistic in terms of the trade? Probably not. You know, I think the the Pistons have been like reluctant to be super open about trading Bogdanovich. I think in December they said they weren't really interested in it. They weren't interested in it at last year's trade deadline. They have a lot of hope that he can be. Uh, a veteran piece that helps out the team kind of going forward in terms of growing. I mean, that didn't, that's not really helping out too much. I mean, they did lose 20 something games. I mean, they play hard though. And you can see that kind of helping out. And I'm sure Monty Williams appreciates it, but you'd have to think that they would be open to trading him. Would you, do you think a f- protected first round pick is too much to go after Bogdanovich? And what would his role be? What would you be giving up in the process? I mean, maybe Detroit, I think they've been connected to maybe. Davion Mitchell, maybe they'd want Kevin Herter or something like that. You definitely have to move some money around to get Bogdanovich, who's being owed, I think, $20 million this year. So, I don't know. I mean, what do you think about the trade? What do you think about the fit? If the, I mean, I think it would fit in great as a starter. If they, the Pistons want a veteran presence, and here, take a great veteran leader in Harrison Barnes, who's only, you know, you only hear great things about his leadership. Kind of more of a lead-by-example guy, but... You know, that's what you kind of need for that kind of team, that lead kind of leadership. So a lead by example, a true vet in Barnes. I mean, Bogdanovich could definitely start on this team in Barnes' spot. He's a great three-point shooter. He's averaging almost 20 points a game right now. I mean, I, he wouldn't have that same level of scoring load that he does in Detroit. But, I mean, still, he's. I think he'd be better than Barnes. I think he would fit in with the flow of this offense a little better than Barnes does. I, I don't think his defense would be... I, I, I don't really know about Bogdanovich's just defense that much, but I know he's not like touted as a great defender. So, 
But, I mean, I'll take all the three-point shooting and size we can get, really. So I think he'd fit in well. But as a starter, I mean, I, I don't think he's worth coming off the bench at that point. I and mean, he'd be great, but for what you'd probably have to give up for him, see if you could swap him with Barnes, you'd probably have to give up, you know, Davion or Herter as well. I wouldn't give up a first-round pick for him, though, in yeah. kind. Because, again, you only have so many first-round picks to give up. And I don't think you give up any at this trade deadline unless it's for, like, an OG and an OB right. kind of player. Yeah, I completely agree. So, and obviously he's gone. Exactly. And Siakam's gone and, and uh, Herb Jones isn't on the table, all that. Uh, I agree. You probably don't give up mm-hmm. a first-round pick for a guy like that. But I also think, you know, I think you make a good point. We just finished talking about how Barnes doesn't really fit in offensively. I think Bogdanovich would do a better job. I think even in that role of trying to just fill in the cracks and get shots when they come to him, I think he'd be a little bit more aggressive about getting it. I think he's a little bit better about getting his own shot. I think you'd be a little bit more tempted about opening up and calling more plays for him to get threes up than, than Barnes, maybe. Uh, I guess that has more to do with the other mm-hmm. bodies out there, Herder and Murray and whatnot. But Bogdanovich is a great three-point shooter. I mean, Barnes is solid, but Bogdanovich has like, been consistently one of the better shooters, I think it's fair to say, throughout his NBA career. Mm-hmm. But the defense is interesting. I mean, of course, he's a veteran. He's been around long enough. He's savvy. You can hide him defensively, especially if you see Murray grow. I think key to that would be in the same way we talked about Kyle Kuzma coming in, you'd have to make sure that you upgrade at Herter's defensive position a little bit better because if you're not going to upgrade that much in, on, on defense, you're going to want to get it elsewhere. Well, with Bogdanovich, you might very well be losing defense compared to Harrison Barnes. Harrison Barnes may not be a lockdown defender and he may, he'll go night to night having good nights, sometimes not having good nights. But he at least gives you a versatile option that can kind of guard some perimeter guys. And I would trust him guarding more perimeter guys than Bogdanovich. He might even be, I don't know if he, I don't Mm -hmm. know if he's stronger than Bogdanovich because Bogdanovich actually has a pretty big body. But you, you, you're very, I think it's safe to say you'd probably be losing something on defense. And then you're kind of talking about a swap where you're giving up Davion as well. And I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's worth it. I, I think. The perfect situation would have to come around, and that's just not going to come around. I think it'd be really interesting. And again, I, like I said, and this is never going to happen, but if there was a dream scenario where you're basically just getting Bogdanovich in here for like a minor package, maybe like some low draft capital and Davion Mitchell or something like that, I mean, you'd probably have to move Herder too for the money. Maybe you do some crazy trade and you get Bogdanovich in here, and he's coming off the bench or something, or even starting for you, and he's giving you some some boost in offensive production and maybe even you can't even factor out the thing of him maybe helping out Sasha Vizenkov. I mean, how big of a, of a mentor could he be for a guy like that? I mean, that would be really good, but I just True. I don't really necessarily mm-hmm. see it happening, especially when you start factoring in would you or would you not give up a, a protected first-round pick? Even if it was heavily protected, I, I, I don't know. I think you have to keep on keep holding on to every asset you have, like you said, because you're trying to make a big move. So, yeah, that's that's kind of my thoughts on Bogdanovich. But another guy that got brought up in that Action Network, <laughs> which I didn't think we'd be saying Action Network this much ever, <laughs> um, this Action Network report was that, I don't remember what the specific quote was or what the situation was, but they were saying if the Philadelphia 76ers were looking to move Tobias Harris and they needed an extra team to take on his deal and in a team that would be interested in having him. They noted Sacramento as a potential option for that. Should Philadelphia want to make further moves? And of course, Tobias Harris, big contract, but it's over at the end of the season. 
So you'd be kind of running into a situation maybe kind of similar to Siakam where you'd be getting a guy over the age of 30 that's not necessarily locked up going forward. There's not as much around Tobias Harris. There's actually nothing around Tobias Harris because there's not as much trade talks. It might not even be realistic, but there's nothing to really believe similar to Siakam that he would be hesitant to sign with Sacramento or something like that. And granted, if he came in and made a splash and did well, maybe they'd want to keep him. And Tobias Harris would be interesting. You know, obviously, I think in a role like Harrison Barnes's, where you'd be going out and having to kind of wait for your own shots, he would be a little bit better and more aggressive at doing that. I think just given his role in Philadelphia and his place among a good team there, and just the fact that he has, I think, a better track record in that regard of being an offensive producer than Barnes has. You'd also be looking at a situation where you could kind of go small. We saw, and we pointed this out last week, that Philadelphia, by going small and using Tobias Harris and Nicholas Batum to guard Sabonis, really found a lot of success in that. And you've seen small lineups kind of bother Sabonis. I think Tobias Harris, we kind of give you another guy that can kind of go in there and play as a small big in a way and still give you some self-scoring and even a little bit of playmaking and supplementary kind of connectivity help in the offense. I think he could be a really good move, but what is he, 31 years old? You're not necessarily looking at a realistic trade rumor situation here. And again, are you settling? Are you getting the guy that you want? I mean, how do you feel about Tobias Harris? I mean, I would welcome Harris to sack. I don't know what that trade would look like. I don't know what you'd have to give up. I mean, you wouldn't give up a first round pick, kind of like Bogdanovich. Um, if you were give up to Bar- if you were going to give up Barnes for him, you wouldn't have that contract. You know, it'd be over at the end of the year, so you wouldn't have that safety and keeping your power forward at the end of the year. So it'd be more of a gamble, a little. I, again, he would be better than Barnes right now. I don't know if you'd want to resign him. You'd kind of be betting that you would be able to get someone in the offseason that would be better than Harrison Barnes right now. Which doesn't seem, <laughs> with the way we talk about Barnes, it's like, that doesn't seem so bad. But, I mean, you know, unless there's a free agent, then. And, again, I mean, and I know he's a free agent, but you'd be betting that you could sign him and other big names like that. So, it's all just, I mean, I wouldn't mind Harris. It's just like, what are you giving up for him? You're not giving up a first-round pick and also not having that safety of him being under contract next season when you kind of need a steady presence at that power forward position. So it's just, it just depends what the trade would look like. Yeah. I would give up Davion. I'd even give up Herter for him, but I not a first round pick. And unless the guy would could fit into this core for, you know, like the, the core's age, then I, that's where you, that's where you're saving your first round pick for, in my opinion, or at least their winning timeline. Yeah. I think Tobias Harris kind of represents, the Kings issue this trade deadline. Like, who are you going to get? Is it good enough? Should you wait till the off season? He's a pretty good encapsulation of that, you know. Older, has some talent, expiring contract, though. You just kind of have a lot of ifs. But I think something I would ask is, you know, Tobias Harris, you're talking about the age. Like, if, if he was, like, 27, 28, like, now you're talking about somebody that you could really think about as a piece for four, five, six years to come if you could try to keep it that way. But he's uh, he's not. He's, what, 31, I think, or at least. And Yeah, I believe. I, one of the things I would ask is if it, was Har- if it was Tobias Harris four years ago, so 27 years old, at the beginning or near the, the beginning of his big contract that he signed, would you, if there was the opportunity to get him at that point, contract and 
young age and upside and all, would you do that? Yeah, I probably would for a first rounder. I mean, Tobias Harris, he's he's been a steady presence even in Philadelphia. I mean, his he had such a big contract for like not even an all star player. Um, I mean, I think it was a, a little excessive, but I mean, he's been a consistent like around eighteen point uh, a game scorer. I mean, just a steady presence in a good Sixers teams lineup. I think he could have done the same in sack if it was like this year and it was four, <laughs> but he was four years ago in age. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think he'd be someone perfect and get versatile to a combo forward. I think, I mean, he's kind of what the Kings would need and they're looking to upgrade that power forward position and Tobias Harris four years ago, the ripe age of 27, 28 would fit him perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just and a good three point shooter too. Key, that's definitely key. But it's just one of those things mm-hmm. where it's like, yeah, I guess it's just given the circumstances and realities today. Again, Tobias Harris does kind of seem like one of those illustrations of the rock in a hard place that the Kings are in, especially given Ananobi and Siakam being off the market and and whatnot. Just kind of seems like a good representation yeah. of the ghosts that the Kings are trying to go after in terms of the discourse that you and I partake in and others as well. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't know if anyone's re like, that's what I'm saying. I don't see Monty making a trade. Cause I mean, I put out this, I mean, I, especially with like the Herb Jones too, I put out this, uh, make a list of everyone the Kings were rumored and getting. Mm-hmm. And let me look, let me look at this list real quick. Yeah. It's Herb Jones. Tobias Harris, oh Miles Bridges, but I mean I don't know I don't really like unless you can put aside him you know beating the crap out of his baby mama. Yeah, I don't think I don't think the Kings are very much interested. I don't in think Bridges. so either. Either yeah, Jeremy Grant, Bogdanovich, and again Grant, someone we discussed last week, and the Portland's not really that interested in trading him. Uh, he's a little older too. Not too, I don't think he's is he thirty yet or maybe he might be twenty nine. I think he's 30 this year. Okay. Someone a little more on the timeline, and he actually brings a lot of defense, which kind of can you know make up for his being a couple of years older. But again, you'd probably have to give up a lot to get him. But I mean, it all comes back <laughs> to Kyle Kuzma, someone who fits the timeline a little more. Again, his defense isn't going to be great, but someone where it's okay. He's kind of like the Tobias Harris <laughs> four years ago, right? A little bit. He's going to score well. I don't think he's as good as a defender, but he could be if he can buy in. Right. Uh, he's not as good as a three-point shooter, but you know, someone in today's NBA in a high-scoring league, and Kyle Kuzma can put some, you know, shots in the basket, and you know, he's averaging four assists, six rebounds. He can be a little bit of a playmaker too when you need him to be. I, I mean, he seems like the most realistic option where you might be willing to give up that first round pick. Yeah, it, it does come back to him. And mentioning him kind of being like the Tobias Harris of a few years ago, like we were asking, actually, he's a little bit better because Tobias Harris had a contract that that was backloaded. It kept it kept going with each year. It, it, it was raised each season. Whereas Kyle Kuzma's contract is front-loaded, so it'll be less next year. And then after that, it'll be mm-hmm. less than that year. So that even kind Good of comes point. into play a little bit more. 
And again, I guess that's up to the Kings to do their research on Kuzma and on what might be the forecast of available options in the offseason going forward. But yeah, somehow it kind of all does go back to Kuzma again. Yeah, he just seems the most realistic. And for what the Kings are looking for, a power forward or at least some kind of combo forward. Yeah, I mean, he's about it. He's about it, really. And that doesn't necessarily mean he's the right one, but in terms of a guy that you realistically have to kind of consider and think about and that the Kings are realistically considering, considering all the lack of other options, you know, it's it's Kyle Kuzma. Yep. Be interesting. King King Kuzma. Just need this trade deadline to come. I just I can't wait till the trade deadline day to come, and I'm on my phone all day just waiting, and then just like... The Kings trade for, and it's just some like random guy I've never heard over for cash cash considerations. Right. Yeah, they'll trade David Michino or, yeah. or something. <laughs> get David Michino back. Yeah, exactly. Get him back from Brooklyn or whatever. Whoever. Yeah. It just it, I don't I don't have high hopes. Next year though, I think it's going to be a little bit of a different story, uh, considering where we expect the Kings to be next season. Again, we I don't expect them to win any championship this year unless a major move is made. I, I just still don't see that happening. But next year, I think the Kings will be playing a lot better. Keegan Murray is going to be a lot more consistent. Next trade deadline, you know, Monty's going to have to be a little more trigger happy to because that's what a win now team is, right? And they're going to be in win now starting next season. So not necessarily they need to win now, but I mean they have a three year window and. I mean, realistically, right? Three, four, unless they're a dynasty like the Warriors, they're going to have to, you know, get aggressive. And unfortunately, it's not the season to get aggressive yet. So I, I don't have high hopes again for this trade deadline. But hey, <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, next year is probably going to be a lot more interesting. Who knows, though? I mean, I, you still are going to have to, even if they don't make a move, you're going to have to ride with this team and see what they're made of. And that's, I think a lot of what's to come can be seen maybe in, I think it's the longest road trip of the year, seven game road trip coming up. Granted, it starts in Golden State. You can hardly say that's a, it's the furthest thing from a road game of all the road games, but you know, still a seven game roadie coming up. So we kind of get to see what they're made of. And if, like we started the conversation, uh, you can kind of take a positive look at the last five or so games. You can also take a kind of more realistic, if not negative approach of the last five games. And I think, the next seven games can flesh out which side was uh, more in the right, I guess. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. It's still a long season ahead. And the trade deadline coming up makes it interesting. And it is also interesting that the seven-game road trip uh, will end. I guess their first game back will be the day before the trade deadline. So this road trip could also be kind of big in terms of where the needle is in terms of urgency to make a move. It could maybe have an effect on that. Although I think the last couple of weeks have really... As we said today and over the last couple of weeks, underlined the need to make a move at some point if they're going to get where they want to be. Yeah. Yeah. And who knows? Maybe you see some guys highlighted like Barnes or Herter. Uh, again, they scored 30 points and not each, but Herter set his career high and then Barnes comes back and scores 32 for the second time this season or scoring more than 30. Mitchell seems to be back in the lineup. They might be trying to advertise these guys at the trade deadline since those are the big three names that are, you know, always being brought up in trade talks with the Kings. So yeah. it'll be an interesting so road trip. Them. Yeah. 
But but is, is that it? Is that all we got? <laughs> yeah, we both like spoke over each other and then like went silent together. It's that perfect little combination of like awkward pause. It's like talking to an old relative on the phone. Yeah, exactly. So, Grandma, um, all right, I'll see you later. What are you doing these days? Like what? Nothing's worse than you're trying to say goodbye, but then they just like they try to continue the conversation. It's like they know. It's like all right, I'll oh, see you. Man. So what's going on? It's like. I've already been on the phone with you for 60 seconds. It just crushes your innocence. It crushes your soul. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Yeah. But the Kings, you know, they start the seven-game road trip today. No, tomorrow. Sorry, it always confuses me. Uh, recording today. Yeah, a lot of days. A lot of a lot of chain, chain together days off. Three. Yeah, I know. Really not a lot. Good for them. Yeah, one game in seven days, really. So... Or yeah, right? Yeah. But two. Two. Seven days, you mean? Well when do they play the Pacers? Well kinda, yeah. yeah. Pacers were Thursday and then I think they had Tuesday and Wednesday off. Yeah. So two and then three, so yeah. Six day span, one game. Yeah, crazy. But they play the Warriors tomorrow, like John said, to start a seven game road trip. It's an important road trip right before the trade deadline, so let's see what happens, John. I got nothing left to say. I think that's it. All right. Well, as always, fighting, I want fighting off the urge to do an impersonation of something, but I think I got through the whole the whole episode without doing that. So, uh, yeah, close it out, Tony. Go get a Mariano Rivera. Enter Sandman. Well, as always, I want to thank you for tuning in, and until next time, have a good one. There he is.